Hello, let's explore bioregioning. By the end of this half hour podcast, you'll understand the concept of a bioregion and how it helps us to see the unique places where we live and work with new eyes, helping us reconnect to and restore the ecological systems of which we are a part and upon which we all depend. We'll hear about the benefits bioregioning Tayside is achieving where locals are reorientating their human economic and social activities to promote resilient environments and livelihoods and regenerate their local natural capital. I'm Dr Hannah Rubman, co-director of the Thriving Natural Capital Challenge Centre at SRUC, Scotland's Rural College, where we focus on how communities can thrive when they act regeneratively within their local natural environmental and ecological systems. For this podcast, I've come on a freezing January day to the picturesque historic market town of Ailith. It's situated on a beautiful burn at the boundary to the Scottish Highlands. There are some exciting projects happening here related to the natural assets of the town and the wider Tayside area. I'm here to find out more about what projects look like and achieve when you look at an area's natural capital through the lens of seeing an area as a bioregion. A bioregion is a social ecological area defined by its geophysical boundary, rather than by human-made political boundaries created for local and regional governance purposes. A bioregion is a place defined by its natural capital, its life forms and specific geographic, biological and ecological features. Originating in France in the 1970s, eco-museums like bioregions focus on the identity of a place, with the term eco being a shortened form for ecologie, the French word for ecology. Still a relatively new concept, there are around 300 eco-museums worldwide and only one other in Scotland in Skye, but I'm catching up first today with the eco-museum founded right here in Ailith. I'm Claire Cooper, co-founder of the Catherine Echo Museum, uh, a museum without walls set across a thousand square kilometres of eastern Perthshire and western Angus. All of our sites are outside. Uh, We aim to reveal the hidden heritage of this little known part of Scotland by telling the story of its people, places and landscapes. Uh, One of the great geophysical features of the area, for example, is the Highland Boundary Fault. And we want to engage with both local people and visitors. Uh, We're very keen to encourage enjoyment of both the natural and cultural heritage of the area by cycling and walking. Uh, In fact, we want to become one of Scotland's premier car-free holiday destinations. Uh, The Cataran Trail, uh, one of Scotland's long-distance footpaths, crosses our geography. Fabulous walk. Uh, Although there are heaps of other walks and cycling itineraries we've designed as well, many of which follow old drove roads and ancient rites of way. Um, There are actually huge advantages of being a museum without walls because we can offer this much more holistic nature and culture frame for the interpretation uh, of our local heritage, quite different to traditional museums' focus on specific items and objects in collections in buildings. And uh, and one of the outdoor events we created in 2021, uh, which is hugely successful, uh, which we did to coincide with COP26, is here 
in Aleph. Um, it's a 50 meter long, two meter high series of panels fixed to a fence uh, in the center of the town. Uh, it's called Turning Points and it tells the story of climate change in this part of Scotland over the last 20,000 years. And Claire, climate change is causing problems now locally. Absolutely, yes. Aleph is beginning to get regular major flooding events as a result of climate change. Indeed, uh, the day after this exhibition was opened by John Swinney MSP, the town flooded and the water was lapping the bottom of the exhibition panels. We've got an amazing photograph of it. Um, there are a number of reasons for this. Uh, the level of precipitation that is falling is much greater. It's huge and often in very short periods of time. Uh, this is gouging out the tributaries further upstream, enabling them to bring down even more water and sediment. Uh, and this increased sediment is raising the water levels in the river in the centre of the town, which is where the principal flooding occurs. From the fish-rich waters of the Burn, we crisscross numerous bridges and I climb with Claire on old drove roads, up past the sheep on the slippery snowy hill of Aleth, a part of the Cataran Echo Museum. We're going to visit a thriving small business, Kirkland Bank Farm, which, like the Echo Museum, is a founding partner of bioregioning Tayside. Dr Marion Bruce runs Highland Boundary from the farm, a business making the most of the biodiversity in the area. Highland Boundary makes wild Scottish spirits from the local botanicals, the flowers and trees on and around the farm. I'm Marion Bruce on the south-facing side of Aylethville. Claire, Marion, describe for me what is bioregioning to you. It's this lens of seeing your place through the natural infrastructure that I have found so releasing. Um, so instead of thinking of cities and shires, which is how we tend to think about place, you think about biomes and watersheds. And once you start to do that, uh, then you've got uh, an opportunity to reconnect to those natural systems on which we all depend. And how can bioregioning be a solution? How might it be a solution here in Tayside? I think it needs to be a solution everywhere. Um, but in Tayside, we have a, a hugely diverse set of landscapes um, from you know one of the um, most fertile areas of of Scotland that's used for, for mainstream farming through to Highland Perter where you know we have mountainous regions and the the river connects all of that. So it is all part of the, the same system. Um, and I think we need to learn new ways or actually reconnect with old ways of using our land, using our rivers and sustaining the the biodiversity of life that creates the resilience within our ecosystems that, that can help us tackle climate change. And that diversity is, is really the fundamental biological part of, of life that actually creates the resilience on which we all depend. It's, it's what it, it's evolved over millions and millions of years. And we've degraded it to the point where actually it's now not working properly. And we need to... Um, regenerate it in order for those systems to actually work properly. That's what bioregioning is about, is seeing differently and trying to reconnect people to those natural systems in a place that that actually underpin all life, including human life, um, on the planet. So it's about seeing things differently, 
um, and acknowledging those systems and thinking about our place within them in a different way, which is not in a human-centred way, but understanding how we're all connected with that system. Marion, tell us specifically about how your business fits in the bioregion. Yeah, so our farm is very small. It's only seven acres in total, which is, you know, small holding, really. Um, but from the minute that we arrived here, we saw the opportunity to really increase the biodiversity that had been lost from this place. So we have planted more than 600 trees on a very small area, but you wouldn't necessarily realise that. Um putting in hedgerows, putting in meadows that should be there, but actually grazing those differently, understanding and, and learning how to, to graze those so that the plants have time to seed. Um, but also actually thinking about the water systems, where our water comes from, right off, rough, right off the hill behind us. Um, and also the, you know, part of that... Um, effectively creating a biodiversity hotspot was what we were trying to do that then uh, can move out from here. Uh, we realised that we had a huge resource on our hands that could be used to create new products that supported that biodiversity, biodiversity kind of speak, but um, yeah, that, that could sustainably harvest from that biodiversity and those, those plants and, um, that were around us, but without harming them. And, and so our spirits business um, is based on using completely 100% Scottish botanicals and reconnecting people with flavours that had been used in Scotland hundreds of years ago, um, but recently haven't. And so, yeah, that's what our business is about, is about bringing those flavours to a new generation of, of people. To, and, and what's really powerful when you do that if you give people, so our, our first release spirit was birch and elderflower, and, and when you give somebody a cocktail with that flavour in it from the birch, they don't recognise it because they're not familiar with it, but it literally reconnects people to the landscape in a very real way. And it starts a conversation about, well, why did you use birch? How do you use it? How much do you pick? All of that kind of stuff that, that allows you to explain how you work in a sustainable way. Yes, I, you know, I think I think what is amazing once you start to look at your place is to discover just how many other people are regenerating small parts of that bigger system uh, and that can be in rural places like the one we're sitting in but it can also be in cities like Perth and Dundee two big cities in the Tay bioregion um, so I think one of the things that the bioregion in Tayside platform aims to do is to reconnect all of those people who are working possibly on their own, separate, not quite knowing what their neighbours are doing even, uh, and start to connect those, those islands of coherence, if you like, uh, which will start to shift the system. So, for example, uh, let's take citizen science. Loads and loads of people are involved in citizen science in all sorts of ways, but none of it is joined up. None of it is informing how, for example, um, communities like Ailith can manage the increased flooding situations that it's finding. Um, that's all entirely possible. It's not going to be rocket science. So perhaps one of the ways that we can join up that citizen science activity is through this incredible mapping utility that the James Hutton Institute uh, are creating for us, which allows all sorts of different kinds of stakeholders to put up data 
uh, that is relevant to different kinds of um, aspects of our, of our bioregion. And then you can start to make sense of it on a much bigger scale. And I think this kind of landscape scale sense making is something that bioregioning can really contribute to. Uh, another example uh, here in this very, very beautiful part of Scotland is around tourism. So we all know that tourism is in massive flux, not least as a result of COVID, uh, but also as a result of the climate and biodiversity crisis. We actually have a designed regenerative tourism pilot ready to roll that would turn one part of Eastern Persia into a regenerative tourism destination. If that works within, within one part of the um, uh, Tayside bioregion, maybe it could work across the whole Tayside bioregion. Claire, can you give me some examples where the bioregion's working all together already? Uh, this is around active travel for leisure. So we have something called the Kataran Echo Museum here in Eastern Persia, uh, and it's been promoting active travel for leisure uh, a lot recently and trying to become, in fact, one of Scotland's premier car-free holiday destinations. That enabled us to start having a conversation with all the cycling folk in Dundee uh, who are really powering up uh, to discuss how we might create an off-road route between Dundee and Eastern Perthshire, which at the moment we don't have. Second example is around food and local supply chains. There are lots of people in Dundee who are doing uh, some very interesting work around food supply uh, to that particular city. We have this incredible growing region around the city, but very few links between the folk who grow all the market gardening produce in Strathmore uh, and the people in, in Dundee. That's something else that we can start to tackle together. Marion, in 10 years' time, what does the bioregion look like? I think it, it looks like people collaborating and actually joining forces to create local systems that work locally, but also are hugely attractive to visitors who are wanting to come and learn and be in a place um, and not just pass through. Um, and that's what regenerative tourism is about, sort of staying longer and, and contributing to the place that you're visiting. Um, I think it it doesn't exclude anything that's happening at the moment. It just connects people in a different way and builds on what is already there, which is a huge natural resource. And, and by tweaking it in a very few ways and thinking about things differently, we have the opportunity to really make a difference for, for local biodiversity. I think my vision for bioregioning Tayside in the next 10 years is that we actually have the capacity to tell a new story of place, uh, and one that is potentially less anthropocentric, uh, more local, more connected to each other, as well as the non-human living forms around us, uh, and uh, that we've found a whole bunch of completely new solutions that we might not have thought about before, simply as a result of bringing our horizons back to the ground underneath our feet. In terms of what we hope to do next, uh, the next milestone in our journey is putting together what we're calling a learning journey, which we hope will happen in the spring of this year, 2022. We're developing the themes that uh, we want to look at uh, in that learning journey, and they're currently focusing around food and flooding. Flooding is a really big and growing issue around here. 
food supply chains, particularly as a result of COVID, uh, are also very big and front and foremost in people's minds. There's been a lot of really innovative activity around that already. What can we do to grow that and join that up? Uh, and what we want to be able to do is actually physically, COVID permitting, take people around Tayside and show them examples of where different practices are already emerging, understand the challenges and opportunities that people are facing, understanding the changes in governance structures that we're going to need to move all of this on, and hopefully at the end, creating a whole new set of relationships that can actually drive forward a lot of the ideas that all sorts of different kinds of people are having about the future and the new story of place that they want to tell. Bioregioning Tayside's mission is to make visible all the businesses and organisations in Tayside that are already acting in bioregional ways. The mission is to grow people's capacity for bioregioning through undertaking the learning journey together. We're already seeing ecotourism green transport attractions such as the Cataran Eco Museum grow in popularity and reputation. Businesses like Highland Boundary are regenerating local fauna for use in their products and are winning international awards. It's easy to imagine how businesses and people in the area simply knowing about each other's local nature-based services and products would enhance that connection back to the land, back to the bioregion and how it's perceived and then used for local benefit. Because a bioregion is explicitly a geographic area defined not by political or economic boundaries, but through its natural features, its agriculture, biodiversity, flora and fauna and vegetation, they are rich with natural capital. Those geological, topographical, hydrological assets have value in ecosystem markets. Local supply chains of businesses in the area could pay into the bioregion's ecosystem markets for the public goods that they gain, the natural capital, the biodiversity net gain, the habitat banking that they are using to make their products and services. Local regional public bodies could pay for the ecosystem services that they benefit from, like reduced flooding. Next, I visited community-governed Alith Development Trust to find out how they're working with bioregioning Tayside. Oh, my name is Russell Willis-Taylor and I'm secretary to the Alith Development Trust. Uh, you can tell by my accent that I wasn't born in Scotland, but we moved here um, almost four years ago now. I've done a lot of work in Scotland and we have family connections here. And I got involved in the Development Trust very early on. They very kindly asked me to take part in what was the, the establishment of a grant-making program. We have an income we derive from the wind farm. And, but also to look at the strategy and the governance, and those are the kinds of things I used to do in my working life. And there's very little that's as gratifying as being able to help the town that's made you feel welcome. So I got involved, and um, I'm not quite sure what happened, but I, I seem to have blacked out. And when I came to, I was secretary to the trust. The energy around uh, bioregioning Tayside has come from a couple of people that I think you've already spoken to, Claire Cooper and, and uh, Dr. Mary Bruce. And um, 
we are so aware because we are at the entrance to the den of Aelith, because we are uh, right on the uh, the entry point to the highlands um, because we're a rural community we are so aware of the markers um, for the identity of this town that don't have anything to do with commercialism or um, don't have anything to do with maybe even you know the the roads that people think of surrounding the town. It has to do with living in the middle of a really beautiful spot. And so I think people um, here, and, and not unlike many other small towns that are cohesive, uh, we want to take care of it. We want to we want to protect it if we can. Not to keep it in amber. It's going to change. Things are going to change. But I think there's an understanding that. Uh, things like climate change, they're going to affect us personally. But more importantly to me, they're going to infect, uh, affect our children and our children's children. And um, we need to do what we can to maintain, for example, biodiversity. Well, maintaining biodiversity means you have to have an understanding of it. And what's great about the intellectual energy around uh, bioregioning is that it's an education about well, what does it mean to have biodiversity? It's also an apolitical way of looking at how we are organized. And I think in this moment in human history, that's a good thing. Aylith Development Trust governs assets for the community, um, like the wind farm you mentioned, Russell. Do you see bioregioning as a way of opening up more community-driven, bottom-up governance models? Absolutely. And... At the moment, because we're um, the trust has been in existence since 2015, but has actually had assets to distribute since around 2018. Um, at the moment, we are in the early stages, as a result of community action planning, of acquiring some assets that we will then look after. We, for example, we'd like to have allotments for the whole town. Um, we're looking at the reclamation of uh, the sawmill site, which is just just below us. Um, to be a proper entrance to the den and to talk about biodiversity and to be a place where people can gather undercover but in the open air because we've learned during the pandemic that those places are rare and precious. So we're in the very early stages of, of governing with um, assets that we're managing. But the thing that's so important, uh, my, I have some background in organizational behavior, the thing that's so important about bioregioning is, as I said, it's an apolitical way of looking at shared resources. And that's very important right now because everything that we do at the Aid of the Development Trust is very explicitly to make this a rewarding place to live and to work and to interact with other people. It's not about commercial gain. It's not about profitability. It's to improve and maintain those things about the town that people love about living here. So as we think about how our governance structure, which is a very established governance structure, it's a, we have a board of directors, um, our meetings are, we, we practice what's called radical transparency. Um, I'm a big fan of that, and uh, luckily so are my fellow directors. All the meetings are open to the public. All the minutes are published, you know, almost immediately after the meeting. We invite people to, you know, join us on Zoom calls when we used to have meetings in person to join us. Because... We want to model the behavior that builds consensus, not 
squirrel away assets that build divisiveness. So we are doing something that is not original, that's not new, that's not innovative, but a lot of places have lost sight of and we're trying to do it in a very consistent way. What's the development trust attitude towards risk, Russell, when some of the assets that you own are the local burn that floods? We have um, we have an appreciation about the dangers that nature can bring. We also have an understanding of the incredible priceless value of cooperative work. Um, you know, in the Netherlands, the reason that the governing systems for 400 years have been the way they are is because you can't on your own manage water. So the kind of enduring image of this town is bridges. And that, I think, is a good image for us to have. I think the other thing that we're learning is as the climate changes, as the weather changes in addition to the climate, and that has a direct impact on the burn. The town has had 200-year floods in the last four years. And that has made this town very grown up in the way we approach um, those sorts of community-based emergencies. We need to be prepared, we need to be trained, and we are. We've recently um, received an, an award to, a grant award to have the first, in Scotland, retained flooding team, like a retained fire team. Um, that's not public yet, but it will be soon, uh, and we're going to train up some young people and give them manual handling and water and water safety and, you know, we have to be realistic about what's going to happen, but we also have to be active and informed, and this is where bioregioning is so valuable, we have to be informed about what can be done so that we can hold the local council, the national government, you know, flood insurance companies, the more informed we are the more we can hold everyone accountable to help the people in this town when they come together to deal with those emergencies. A long, long time ago, when I was working in the arts, and, and uh, we, we found a plaque underneath the floor of the Battersea Arts Center, which I used to talk about quite a lot when I was giving speeches and things. And it said, when they translated it from the Latin, it said, not for you, not for me, but for us. And the value system behind bioregioning is very much not for you, not for me, but for us. And that is the value system of the Development Trust. It's not about any one individual, it's about making this a better place for everybody. I'm struck by these place-based projects run by community organisations, ALITH, Community Development Trust and Bioregioning Tayside and how they practice co-creation and radical transparency. Ecosystem markets could really work locally here because the locals will be governing their area's natural capital by engaging all the businesses and organisations collaboratively in the ecosystem and through people's local knowledge of what is actually happening on the ground or with the water. The individuals in this community I've met have extremely vested interests, of course, they live and work here, but it's hard to see, therefore, how they would make bad environmental choices that would make things worse for their area, their homes and communities. The locals are reorientating their human, economic and social activities to promote resilient environments and livelihoods and regenerate their local natural capital. 
Accounting for these local costs and benefits allows ecosystem management to be integrated into the very idea of local governance. Ecosystem management has long been in regional and national bodies' hands, but perhaps environmental justice and a just transition with new local green jobs could be better achieved through local ecosystem governance, like the bioregioning model explored in this case study from Tayside. Thanks to my interviewees, Claire Cooper, co-founder of the Cataran Eco Museum, cataranecomuseum.co.uk, and convener of Bioregioning Tayside. So the website is bioregioningtayside.scot, uh, and you can find out a lot about the people who are already practicing bioregioning in Tayside on that website. There's a map shows you where they are. We're adding to that all the time. You can get in touch with us directly. There's a contact point through the website. You can follow us on Twitter and you can follow us on Facebook as well. Thanks to Russell Willis-Taylor of the Alith Development Trust, lovealith.org.uk, and also to Dr. Marion Bruce. Um, so if you want to come and experience life on the farm here, we... Um we have a holiday let, so that's kirklandbank.co.uk. Um, we have a 10-person um, holiday let. And if you want to see what Highland Boundary is all about, that's uh, highlandboundary.com. In producing this podcast, I used natural sounds from Inch Adney, Frome Sound and Kyle S and music from Short Record via freesound.org. The podcast was funded by SRUC's University Impact Fund and I'm contactable at hannah.rubman at siuc.ac.uk. Thanks for listening and goodbye.